آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنتي لا يوم الدين All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The topic of today's khutbah is that of spending for the sake of Allah. Allah advises us in the Quran that we should spend of the wealth that he has given us before it becomes too late for us to do so. It is a reminder for us that whatever wealth we have in this life is a gift from Allah. And it is not for us to do with it as we please. We will be held to account we will have to answer for how we have used the wealth which Allah has given us. Allah states in the Quran also that in the wealth of the believers, the poor and the needy have a right. So it is an obligation for us. Over and above the zakah which Allah has ordained for us, to give on a yearly basis a set amount over and above that there is also wealth which we have a duty to give to those who are in need and the institution of spending of sharing is one which Allah has instituted because it is his destiny that some of us have more than others. Allah destines the wealth that we have in this life. It is written how much we will earn, how much we will be able to save, how little we will have, how little we will be able to save. It is already destined. So, since Allah has destined this difference, between human beings whom he has created to balance that he has also destined or ordained for us a, a right and a responsibility that we have to fulfill towards those who have been destined by Allah to have less than us and this is why Allah has inspired the Prophet Muhammad to inform us that we should look to those who are below us, those who have less than we have, not to look to those above us. And there will always be those above us. Because if we do so, then we will never be satisfied. We will never be content. Because there will always be those who have more than us. We'll have a better car, we'll have a prettier wife, we'll have, you know, a bigger house, whatever. Whatever we have, there are those who have better than us. <coughs> so if we constantly look to them, then we will constantly be in a state of insecurity, a state of, of, of desire, where we are driven all the time to try to, to, to get what others have. 
It creates in us jealousy. And this is why Prophet you know, had warned us of jealousy. Saying, beware of jealousy. Because jealousy destroys good deeds like fire destroys wood. And the jealousy is, is the product of us looking to those above us. This is why the Prophet advised us to look to those below us. Because as there are always those above us, there are always those below us. No matter how low we get, we will always find somebody who is lower than us, having less than we have. Because, as he went on to explain, when we look to those below us, it is better to remind us of the favors that Allah has bestowed upon, upon us. Because all of us have received favors. No matter how poor our circumstances may be, we have all been blessed by God. And it is a major crime, a major sin, to deny the favors of Allah on us. The major sin. Those who deny the favors of Allah are those who will suffer the calamities of Allah. So, in order for us to recognize the favors and to fulfill our responsibilities, we then have to spend out of the wealth which Allah has given us. It's not just enough for us to realize and to understand that we have a duty to share what we have. That knowledge is useless unless we act upon it. We read it in the Quran. We hear it in the khutbahs. We hear people speaking about it. We read it in books. It's not enough for us to read it and say, yes, yes, this is true. But then we carry on with our lives without spending of what we have. No matter how little we have, we must spend of it. As Allah has said in the Quran, we will not attain piety, true righteousness, until we spend and give of that which we love. To spend out of that money that we have grown so attached to. To share part of the wealth of this world which we have spent so much time and effort together. This is how we attain piety. This is how we grow spiritually with regards to our wealth. So very important for us to act on these principles. And there are many, many, many different channels through which we can spend our money, spend portions of our money for the sake of Allah. So the Imam spoke mostly about the building of masjids. This is one concept which Islam has emphasized. The Prophet promised rewards for it based on revelation from Allah that whoever builds a house for the sake of Allah, a masjid, Allah will build a house similar for him in paradise. And this has been the driving force of, mas of Muslims through the centuries to build houses of worship wherever they are. To pool their monies, to spend of their wealth, to establish a place of worship. 
And of course, Prophet had said that when a man dies, all of his deeds are cut off. He can do nothing in this life after that. He has no way to affect the things of go- that are going on in this life. He enters into the state of the barzakh. And he remains in that state until the day of judgment. However, he can continue to receive good deeds if he has given some wealth which continues to reap benefits, continues to help others. He has built a masjid that people come and pray in. Everybody who benefits from that masjid, rewards will be added to that man's scale of good deeds who built the masjid or who shared in the building of the masjid. Similarly, if one leaves behind knowledge which is beneficial, one knows of a good book which is useful to people, so he shares in the publication of that book. Everyone who reads and benefits from that book, he receives benefit from it also. And finally, a righteous child who prays for that person also benefits the person. Because the righteous child is a product of his own efforts. He has raised his child in a righteous fashion and he reaps the reward of his efforts. So, Muslims historically have been driven by these recommendations of Allah and His Messenger to build houses of worship wherever they are. However, these houses of worship, the goal behind them is not merely the structure. To build beautiful structures which are not of any benefit to people in the sense that nobody attends it, nobody prays in it. Fajr comes and there's only one or two people. Then this is a waste. This is a waste. When we spend our monies, we have to spend our monies wisely. It is better to build a masjid based on the actual need of the community and build along with the masjid a school which will educate Muslims to the need to attend the masjid. And this is one of the areas that uh, Muslims in various parts of the world who are needy and are receiving help from different charities etc. that they are suffering from the building of the masjid syndrome where people will insist they give money but this money can only be spent in building a masjid and so you will find you know I just came back from the Philippines you will find areas where you will find so many masjids and no schools the children parents may go to the masjid but the children are going to non-Muslim schools. When they graduate, they will not pray in the masjid. So the masjids become emptier and emptier with each generation. It's very important that when we uh, use that money, when we spend that money, 
in the charities, etc. That we have to look to the practical needs of the community and not just go according to the outer obvious meaning of the statement of the Prophet Muhammad We have to look practically speaking into the needs of the community because a masjid can be within a school. A segment of the school can be set aside for prayer as the masjid area. But the education of Muslims today, this is the greatest need. Muslims need to understand what Islam is, what is their duty to Allah and to the Muslim community. And after having understood that, then they would be able to establish masjids of the scale that we found in the past. The huge masjids that were built by earlier generations of Muslims. And when we come to spend money on any given Islamic project, we shouldn't feel that the amount that we have to give is so small that it will be not sufficient to complete the project. So there's no point in giving. You know, if all you have to spare in a week because of the work that you're doing, the needs of your family, etc., is five real. You think five real? What can five real do? Can't even buy me a pen. You know, a Parker. You can buy a big, but you can't buy a Parker with five, right? Uh, you feel this is too small, it's not going to do anything. You know, the cost of a masjid is so many thousands, five reals is not. But no, we cannot think in this fashion. Because the reward that Allah could give you for that five reals may be many, many times more than somebody else who gives thousands of reals. This man may be a millionaire. A thousand reals from him is nothing. When you give that five reals, it's all that you have. Allah will reward you more, though that money is so much less than the other individual has given. So we're thinking in terms of the akhirah, of the next life. And Allah rewards according to our intention. Because it is He who destined that all you would have spare is five reals. And he destined that the other man had a spare million reals. But he's only giving 5,000. You see? When he only gave 5,000, you will get more reward for your 5 reals giving because this is all you had than he gets for the 5,000. Or the 50,000. When he had a million spare to give. So we should never consider that what we have to give it's too small or too little, too insignificant, it's not going to make a difference. No. It is our intent. And this is what Allah rewards. So we make the good intention and we give what we can. And He has invited the people to strive for the next life at least as hard as they strive for the things of this life that people, if they were just to go around the neighborhood, 
and he was speaking particularly to Saudis here who know each other as neighbors etc they're in a given area this is where they've been for 50 years whatever everybody knows everybody you know if one individual in that neighborhood took it upon himself and this is something that we can uh, those of us who are from other countries we know where there are communities where we know each other we can also apply this principle one of us took it upon himself to just go from home to home amongst the families that he knows and comment some money for the sake of some Islamic charity that this would have a major impact on the efforts of the various charitable organizations here because people are waiting for so and so to give and for so and so to give the big companies let them give but it comes right down ultimately to the individuals and the reward is with the individuals who make the effort to to gather that money at whatever level they can in whatever community they exist and it reminded us that the blessing of wealth is something which is not lasting for certain we can't take it with us out of this life but even within this life wealth comes and wealth goes the Gulf War was a classic example we saw Kuwaitis coming in to Saudi Arabia who were millionaires yesterday were coming into Saudi Arabia with only the shirts on their backs. That was instantaneous. And it happened. So it's very essential for us to spend of what we have whilst we can, whilst we have it. Because when we spend of it, then whatever else we have is blessed by Allah. And this spending, it includes any form of spending in which we have sought the pleasure of Allah and sought to avoid His wrath. For example, most of us are from the background of countries that are under un-Islamic rule maybe from Muslim minorities and the economic order of the day is one based on interest riba and all of us who seek to own homes of our own we are confronted with the only option of going to the bank and getting a mortgage to purchase our homes. Unfortunately, many Muslims, I know in America and in England, other places, have taken this step and have purchased their homes based on interest. Justifying it with the logic that if we pay rent, as we are doing, 
Every year we pay a thousand dollars a month for rent. Housing is very expensive in America, in England. Thousand dollars a month for rent. One year is twelve thousand dollars. Two years, twenty-four thousand dollars. Just money going all the time, going away. No return. Whereas if we get this house on a mortgage, though we are now paying three, four, or five times the value of the house when we finally pay it off. At least we have something in our hands to the end. However, such people who reason in this fashion are short-sighted. They're only looking at the mathematics, one plus one, in this life. They are forgetting that Allah has said that He has cursed interest. So that house that we have been building on interest through mortgages is cursed by Allah. It's cursed. You live in a house and things happen to you, you wonder why are these things happening to me? The children have accidents, your family gets sick and you know, all kinds of things happen to you throughout your life. You wonder why, why? Why is that I'm going to master praying and why do these things happen to you? But you are living in a cursed circumstance. Whereas the rent that you paid, though it is not coming back to you in this life, Directly, you don't seem to have anything to show at the end of the day for it. That money is blessed by Allah. Because you have paid that rent to avoid dealing in interest. So Allah blesses that money. On the day of judgment, it is added to your scale of good deeds. Whereas the house that you bought is on your scale of evil deeds. And this is how the Muslim has to think when he is spending his money. He, has to, he can't be short-sighted. He has to think beyond this life because he knows this life is not all that there is. He has to reckon. There is a reckoning. He has to give an account for what he has done with the wealth that Allah has given him. So whenever he spends his money, he strives his utmost to spend it in the ways which are pleasing to Allah and to avoid the things which are displeasing to Allah and the Imam quoted a verse from the Quran now this verse spend in the way of Allah and do not throw yourselves into destruction with your own hands normally the second part of the verse is the argument, one of the arguments used for against suicide. When we uh, talk about the issues of smoking cigarettes, for example, people raise the question, is it allowed for Muslims to smoke cigarettes? You know, when so many people say it's makruh, it's like, better if you didn't do it, but it's still halal. You know, we take them back to this verse. When the medical profession has said that smoking produces cancer and cancer kills, then we take them back to this verse. This verse says, 
don't throw yourselves into destruction with your own hands. Also the other verse, Don't kill yourself. Prohibited in Islam to kill yourself. However, the full meaning of this verse is in regards to spending in the way of Allah. Allah says, spend in the way of Allah and don't throw yourself into destruction with your own hands. By not spending in the way of Allah, you are throwing yourself into destruction with your own hands. That wealth which Allah has given you, you are committing suicide. You are destroying yourself if you do not spend of it in the way of Allah. And in the second part of the khutbah, the Imam also mentioned other avenues by which uh, money may be spent for the sake of Allah like that of building wells, digging wells providing water, you'll see some of the homes here with um, water fountains you know, providing cool water etc. this is part of that Islamic tradition you know, of providing for the wayfarer you know, uh, things which would make his travel easy make life easier for others. So we are encouraged in Islam to do such public works which would benefit others. And the companions were known to undertake such projects. And uh, he quoted a statement of the Prophet ﷺ, which was reported by Jabir ibn Abdullah in which the Prophet was reported to have said that whoever digs a well, a water well, that every being, whether it be of the jinn, of mankind, or the birds, that benefits from it, that individual will receive reward for everyone who benefits. So, Islam encourages us to look at our wealth as being a responsibility which Allah has given us, has blessed us with. And that responsibility has with it both blessing as well as obligation to spend. We may take pleasure from that which He has given us, but at the same time, we have an obligation to spend from that which He has given us. And that we should seek to use that wealth which He has given us in ways which are pleasing to Him. In the building of masjids, of schools, of institutions, which will benefit the Muslim communities, also in the way of protecting ourselves and our families from disobeying Allah, from falling into sin. We should spend monies in that way. And we should seek to find public welfare projects which would provide for the needy, the travelers, etc., and to 
spend some of our wealth in these areas if we have the opportunities. That was basically the topic of the khutbah. Okay, having said that, um, are there any uh, general questions anybody would like to raise concerning the um, topic of the khutbah? Well, he, it is on him to come back. Well, he has to have the intention to do so. He has to have the intention to do so and he strives to do so. If Allah destines that he can't do it, well then, that's beyond his control. Well, if he can the next year, then it should be done the next year. You know, if it ends up being only three years after that he can raise enough money to come back and do it, then that's when he can. But his intention is to come back, I mean, as soon as he can. No, come here, come here. Who says that they want to be? Huh? You said they want to be, or they want to meet some people to talk to. Huh? Yeah. Concerning the first case, when the sex is committed in the first few days, I read somewhere that, that when you come the next year, that they have to come separately. Is that true? That the men and wife they return the next year which is obligatory that they must return separately they cannot come he cannot come as a mother I read this in the book that's published by uh, Medina University I was wondering if you knew anything about that in the case the first case when, when they first time I believe it's called yeah before yeah. before they, they cannot come together next year. this is true well, I don't know, brother. Uh, this is another point our brother is raising that he has uh, read that when they come back the next year, the husband and wife, they cannot come back together. He cannot come back as a mahram. Uh, I don't know. This is something we can check to, you know, to see uh, the validity of that, uh, that opinion. Uh, but I'm just giving you what I picked up. I haven't heard it before, but I read it. Now, yeah, well anyway, you know, we can inshallah try to find out for you know, whether that is also an additional condition. But the uh, people who I spoke to did not mention this. Or before he has done some of the acts of the tent. You have three main acts of the tent. You have the slaughter, you have the hair cutting, and you have tawaf. Right? If he has done two of those. Then, and he, and he has sexual relations at that point, there's a different ruling than if he has not done any of the two, or if he has only done, uh, some scholars also say if he does one 
of the major, that is either the cutting of the, the, the um, slaughter or the tawaf, stoning is not considered the major, right? But though combined with one of the majors, that is sufficient, okay? If it takes place before that, then his whole hajj is lost. He has to complete the hajj anyway, remaining in ihram, complete the hajj, and he has to slaughter an animal for the sins, and furthermore, he also has to do the hajj, repeat that hajj next year. Sexual intercourse. Well, this was in spe- specifically for sexual intercourse. I mean, asking that is another issue. Well, this is the case with what we discussed last week. I'm just giving the information based on the question raised last week. Now, if it takes place after the person has uh, slaughtered and cut his hair, then he may, that hajj is not uh, destroyed. He keeps on his ihram, he makes his tawaf, right? And the hajj, uh, he will have to do still a slaughter for having uh, an additional slaughter for uh, breaking the ihram. But he was in the, the lesser state of ihram at that point. So his hajj is still valid. And this is the case for both the male and the female. Even though the male has forced it on the female, uh, it is still a requirement for both to do the same. He also pointed out that it is the position of the Hanafi school that if a person makes it to Arafah, it doesn't matter what he does afterwards, it will not break his hatch. Okay, so you have that by itself. That is their ruling. And according to the Hanafi school, modern scholars, if you have sex but you make it to Arafah, your Arafah, because Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Hajju Arafah. Al-Hajj is Arafah. You know, that they have interpreted that to mean that if you make it to Arafah, that's it. No matter what you do afterwards, or it is not going to affect the fact you made it to Arafah, that is enough for your Hajj. Now, that is an opinion held, as I said, by scholars of that particular school. All of the other scholars hold otherwise. And they base there, you see those from the Hanafi school, it is based on the understanding or interpretation of certain general hadiths made by the Prophet However, when you go back to see what did the Sahaba do, what did the companions of the Prophet do, this issue was raised to them. They said that the person should, uh, his hajj is finished, he has the same rulings that we gave. This is based on the rulings of the Sahaba. You see? So, though you have two op- opinions here, for us as Muslims, when you research the topic, if you see that there is an area of, distinct, of dispute, you have one opinion on this side and one opinion on the other side, and you find you know, the text could mean this or it could mean that, then the next place that you have to look to find, to, to, to try to determine is by the companion, because these statements of the Prophet ﷺ were conveyed to us by his companions. 
So they have the best understanding of what it is the Prophet ﷺ meant by this statement. So then, if we find that in fact the companions, the leading companions have ruled in this fashion, then it is the better choice to choose in accordance with the way of the companions. Okay, having said that, um, are there any uh, general questions anybody would like to raise concerning the um, topic of the khutbah? No, uh, the hadith is clear, you know, clearly speaks to those below us, but it's in reference to, we understand it to be in reference to the material aspects. That in fact, this, I mean, this is really because uh, if we look to those below us, if it were in spiritual matters, then it would not be, the, the rest of the hadith would not then make sense. You know, so, 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 so I'm saying that how that hadith has been understood because it didn't specify in the hadith whether it was in spiritual matters or whatever. The hadith just said, look to those below you. You know, do not look to those above you because it is better to remind you of Allah's uh, blessings on you. So, in looking at the hadith, the scholars, you know, understood that to, to be in reference specifically to the material thing. And they said actually, in fact, that we should, in terms of spiritual matters, then we look to those above us. We don't look to those below us, because if we look to those below us, then it will make us lazy. You know, we think, uh, I'm praying five times a day, well, you know, there's somebody, he's only, uh, he's only praying one time a day, so maybe, you know, if I pray two times a day, I'm better than him. Uh, you know, no, we look to those above us, those who are doing more. That gives us more incentive to try to strive and to do more. Well, the hadith says, you know, waladun salihun yad'ula. You know, this could include uh, grandchildren too. You know, if it is uh, the, the, the grandchild of a, a righteous child who was raised by that father, or if, if, for example, the grandchild was raised by the father, the father may not have been, by the grandfather, the, the father may not himself have been righteous, but the grandfather, you know, uh, gave input to that child and raised that child, helped in the raising of the child in a righteous fashion, sure. That's a good thought. Uh, I've never come across it in terms of hadith. It's a good thought though. 
Uh, a question uh, from, which came from the sisters is inspirational music music about Islam, Allah, etc. or songs about Islam and Allah set to music haram yeah is the question raised um, I'm assuming that it has to do with musical instruments if if a person uh, uses good uh, words, which would be like, say, poetry or whatever, which has to do with praising Allah, etc., but puts it to music by way of musical instruments, then that would turn it into haram. Because uh, music produced by musical instruments, or any other instruments which will produce sounds similar to those musical instruments, this is classified as haram by the statement of the Prophet concerning the last days in which he said that people, Muslims, will make halal the wind and stringed instruments. So the only form of music, we could say, which is acceptable uh, within the Islamic framework is that which is produced by the voice or uh, instruments by the way of the duff that is the uh, this sort of like a tambourine without uh, any bells on it what about a synthesizer? well a synthesizer as I said the synthesizer if it imitates the sounds of the wind and stringed instruments then it is just as haram because the principle is what is produced not specifically the instrument which produces it it is the effect of what is produced on people. I mean, in taking people away from Allah, in occupying their hearts with the Quran of Satan. Well, yeah, I mean, you have a variety of other additional opinions. I didn't want to get into each and every one of them, you know, um, as to what circumstances, some limited to some, to only specific circumstances, you know, others allow it in, in general circumstances. But the thing which everybody agrees on is that uh, the voice and the duff, and the voice of the female, if the female is above puberty, is also not allowed. Uh, question, uh, if a house is sold to do away with riba, is the money from that sale halal? Well, it depends. If a person engaged in the purchase of a home knowing full well that what they were doing was haram and then at one point decided that they wanted to rectify then what is due to them is only the capital whatever they have actually put in any additional monies which would come from the sale of the house 
would not be their right. But if a person, for example, was a non-Muslim, they had bought this home prior, and after becoming a Muslim, thought now to get himself out of this, this is a different situation. For the most part, it's haram because of how it is uh, by the, the means by which it is done. I wouldn't say insurance as a whole is haram because it is possible to set up Islamic institutions which can insure in a fashion which is halal. So it's not, ju- it's not just the principle of insurance, but how insurance takes place in Western insurance uh, schemes. So if you're asking about what happens in the West, then we would say it is haram, and it is only in exceptional cases, for example, where uh, you want to set up a school, and the state law is that any school must have fire insurance. Now, because you're under a state of un-Islamic law, the school is a necessity for the community, for the propagation of Islam and establishment of Islam, then under such circumstances you may pay that fire insurance. Or your car, a means of transportation for you to get about to do what you have to do. You must have a car. In some states, some, you know, countries, it is an obligation, you are obliged to take out insurance. Otherwise you cannot drive the car legally. In those circumstances where you have no other option, then you are for those basic necessities. But what about the house? Because Well, I don't know about that. I don't know that that's the case. Yeah. Well, it, is, it is in certain places. If to cover the mortgage, in the event that you get sick, to cover the mortgage. Yeah, right. In, in other words, like in other words, if you get into a riba situation, yes, you are obliged to do it. But if you're buying a house outright, you're not, you're not obliged to. Yeah. So it's really just compounding your own situation. If you've already got into a, a haram situation, and there, there are other harams which tend to come along with it. Yes. In the States, they, ha- they have uh, some Islamic uh, organizations that are helping Muslims finance their homes and cars, etc. Huh? Yes, yes. You know, there are, are, are more than one organization. I've seen ads for them in uh, different Islamic uh, journals. Uh, say that uh, a person is a Muslim but doesn't fully understand or maybe even has no knowledge or, or very little knowledge of the, uh, the intensity of the sin involved in uh, consuming riba and they purchase a house uh, then but they purchase it without this full knowledge okay and as time goes on they acquired the knowledge that what they had done at an earlier period was incorrect. And say they have about a year or so left to make their mortgage payments on the house. 
if that person or that family decides to, to finish their payment on the house, is that haram or if it is haram, what's the degree if there's such a thing as a degree? What's, what's involved in a situation like that when there was a lack of knowledge involved in what was done? See, now we're getting into hypothetical circumstances, right? Uh, hypothetical in the sense that uh, if a person knew it was haram but didn't know to the, which degree it was haram uh, see now it's very difficult for one to put a ruling on that you know to what degree was their knowledge of haram to determine the degree of haram involved that's why I say hypothetical I'm not saying it's not real in the sense that people do it but you see this becomes something which you know one cannot measure I mean if you knew it was haram then you knew it was haram so, if at one point you decide, well, listen, it's, it's haram enough, I need to get out now, uh, you know, to say, well, I'm just going to finish the payments and that's going to cover it for me, uh, I don't think that, I don't think that uh, this becomes, uh, you know, a justification for the person to, which would okay him or her, you know, keeping that property. You know, I would say that the best thing for such a person having known it was haram all along but having finally developed enough faith to be motivated to change the situation that the best way out is to sell that house uh, get out their principal out of it and try to invest it elsewhere get a new start I mean that's the safest way I'm sure though if you go around and you ask, you know, one sheikh or another sheikh or another, you will eventually find somebody will say, yeah, yes, it's okay, just pay it off. <laughs> it's okay. You will find somebody. You know, but I'm going to say to you, what I, uh, my advice to you is, what is safest? You know that if you sell it and get out your principal, that is sure. The other one is maybe. <laughs> maybe. And when you're dealing with your next life, you know, you don't want to be doing things that there is that maybe factor, you know, inshallah. What, uh, the brother's question, uh, having pointed out that females singing has been prohibited actually there's actual statements of Prophet Muhammad with, with regards to the female song stresses what of the case of female reciters of the Quran in public gatherings where there are both males and females some uh, scholars hold that that public recitation is not allowed because the recitation of the Quran actually is a form of singing and the Prophet ﷺ said whoever does not sing the Quran is not ours you know I mean of course it doesn't mean that it is singing in that 
pure or the, the, the extreme senses that we know of singing, but it meaning that you recite the Quran in a musical voice, it is a form of song. So on the basis of that, uh, the female recitation should only be done, you know, amongst other females. Okay? Whereas other scholars uh, hold that it is not considered of the singing which is prohibited. And uh, personally I think the safest one is to, to avoid it. Because the hadith does, does speak towards it being singing and uh, especially in the recitations of the Quran, you know, which are popular now, you know, Abdul Basit and, you know, uh, which, you know, which gets very intense, that the difference becomes very slight, you know. Because if it's grown women singing Islamic songs, it is, it's not allowed for men to listen to. If it was made a tape and was provided for women, then that's another situation. But uh, for men to listen to it, actually it is prohibited. Yeah. Okay, um... There are uh, three brothers here, Filipino brothers. I don't quite uh, know what the uh, circumstance is uh, with our brothers here. I believe uh, that they don't understand English. Is that correct? Huh? What is the situation, uh, Abdul Latif? Can you find out what the situation with these brothers are here? The three brothers who, who came here, uh, whether they wanted to find out more about Islam, make some arrangements with them, or whether it was that they wanted to declare their faith, I don't know, I just heard different um, statements made. Come on up with them then, uh, Abdul Latif. Let the brothers come up here then. Uh, first thing, uh, just to, before embracing Islam, you know, we want to be certain that you have understood, you know, what Islam is. We don't want you to get into something that you are not really certain about. So, I'd like to ask maybe just a couple of questions. You could answer them for me to have an understanding that you have uh, really understood what it is Islam is. Okay? Uh, the first question, you, are you understanding what I'm saying now? I'm, huh? Or you prefer uh, Abdul Latif to translate for you? No, 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 don't, 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 don't If he, do you understand what I'm saying? You understand? Yes? Okay. Uh, 
in Islam, who is uh, is Jesus, the Son of God? Uh, Muslim Jesus uh, only a prophet. Only a prophet. What is your view? Uh, the, the Jesus, Jesus uh, the son of Mary. Son of Mary. Okay. What is your view? Son of Mary. Okay. This brother also. Huh? Okay. And in Islam, uh, is God three in one and one in three? No, that's not one. One, one only. Huh? That's one only. One only. Okay. Uh, you know the Quran? Quran. You know what the, the Quran is, the, the scripture, the Muslim scripture, Quran. You know about Prophet Muhammad. Prophet Muhammad. Huh? Well, you see, you know, in our declaration of faith, there's two parts to it. One, one part is accepting the oneness of Allah and our duty to God, the one God. The second part is accepting that Prophet Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, was the last messenger of God. So, you want to be convinced about this. It's best for you to read something of his life, read something of the Quran, and then if you are convinced, because you see, when you commit yourself to Islam, it is not just like in Christianity, you're a Christian, but you do everything else, you drink, you play, and you pray on Friday, and it is no. Islam is 24 hours, every day, praying five times a day, living according to the way of the prophets. So you must be convinced, you must believe, you must accept that Muhammad... May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him was the last of the prophets of God and that you will follow his way until you die. So you need to know, if you don't know who he is, best you do a little reading first. No rush. Right? You have a good intention here. You know that if Allah causes you to die next week, you are on your way to Islam, inshallah he will accept your intention. Huh? So better if you don't know, you have not read anything of the Quran, you have not read about Prophet Muhammad, you know, or somebody has not explained it all to you, his life, who he was, so and so. Better you find out first. Huh? I would suggest to you. You have come across the Quran. The Quran, yes. I know the Quran. Yeah. The translation. the translation, yes. And you accept that Quran as the scripture from God. And you know about Prophet Muhammad, the one who brought that scripture. About Prophet Muhammad? Yes. The Prophet Muhammad is the... the uh, 
Okay. Uh, yourself, you already know about it. You know about Prophet Muhammad. Huh? And you accept him as the last prophet of God. Meaning there is no more prophets coming after. We don't have like Felix Manalo like you have in Philippines, you know. The new prophet who comes up and he says, you know, he's got new religion. We have none of that. Anybody who says he's a new prophet, we say he's a false prophet. Right away. Because Prophet Muhammad was the last of the prophets. Yes, no prophets coming after. And if you accept that, uh, as I said for yourself, you know, better you do a little bit of reading. Do you accept that? You read about this? You know something about Prophet Muhammad? Huh? Yes. Okay. So, what I will say is that maybe you three can make your declaration now. And my suggestion is that you find out something about Prophet Muhammad. Next week, you can come and make your declaration. Very simple procedure. But we just want you to be certain. To understand what you're doing. You know? Because this is a big step in your life. Your whole life is going in a different direction after this. You have to live your whole life in accordance with Islam. You want to be certain. Okay? So can you come around this side here please, brother? So you, you remain here, brother. You come here. Okay, I'm going to have you repeat a phrase, a statement in Arabic, which is your declaration of faith. But before that, I will say it in English so you know what it is you're saying. So just repeat after me. I bear witness. Just repeat after me. Yeah, you can all say it at the same time. No, just all the same time. Okay? Just say, I bear witness. That there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is the last messenger of Allah, and I bear witness that Jesus was a messenger of Allah. Okay, I'm going to say the same thing now in Arabic, you repeat after me. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah wa ashhadu أن عيسى رسول الله الحمد لله congratulations brother الله أكبر